0: Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely.
1: But your belief that God doesn't make mistakes, that God believes in you and has given you gifts and talents and capabilities, and that your gift back to your creator is to use those. And and I know people, Kevin, that this concept has blown them away. I coach executives for a living. So I've, I've said what I just said to you, to people who acted as if their mind was blown. And I've said what I just said to you, to people who rolled their eyes and just thought, what a fool is this man, meaning me. And so, you know, how people take it is completely up to them, but, But that's the honest answer to your question.
0: Welcome to The Ziegler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we're talking about getting you to your full potential. Literally, our topics are dealing with your inner critic, imaginary obstacles and self-limiting beliefs the real culprits between our desires and actually taking action towards them are generally those three gremlins as our guest would call them that guest is ed DeCosta, an author and executive coach he works with a lot of c-level executives giving them a safe place to talk about their well gremlins is what he calls them the fears insecurities limiting issues in their own psyche This gives him a profound insight into real-life issues that hold people, even these top performers, back. It's incredibly eye-opening. A bit more about Ed. He is the author of Ascend, a Coach's Roadmap for Taking Your Performance to New Heights. And Release Your Superhero, How to Shed the Villains and Soar in Business and in Life. He's president of Catalyst Associates, an executive coaching and management consulting firm. Its focus is to help clients become more effective leaders, enabling them to meet their personal and business objectives. His clients range from small entrepreneurial ventures to Fortune 500 corporations. I really botched entrepreneurial. That's a hard word to say. It's a hard thing to do. But in his corporate life. Ed managed worldwide sales and marketing teams and opened offices on three continents. He's presently working as a partner with best-selling author and leadership guru, John Maxwell, serving as one of the faculty members in the Maxwell Leadership Development Program. You can check out Ed's Ascend Coaches Toolkit at a c t. So we're going to dig in with this conversation with Ed right after I share some great resources with you. Okay, friends, here then I bring you Ed Decosta and how to deal with those limiting gremlins. All right, well, Ed, it is a gift to have you on the show. I am grateful for Brenda Dunnigan for saying this is a guy you've got to bring on The Ziegler Show, so thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Kevin. I've heard quite a number of wonderful things about you also from brenda and i'm delighted to be with you and with your audience
0: well thanks and i i know you have quite a story i'm eager to get into some of the uh the overcoming but i want to i want to come back to the beginning a bit uh because from where you are today for what you've achieved today how did your background prepare you for this even your your upbringing was it something that strengthened you for the uh the success you've had today Or was it something, was it a challenge that you had to work through?
1: Yeah, great question, Kevin. So I would have to say uh, from from my life story, from a very unique perspective, at least given what I've just been through, that in spite of the challenges, I am extremely grateful for the upbringing. And the short version is I grew up in South Boston, which most people would never have heard of it's just a neighborhood in, in the city of boston obviously even though there's a there's a south boston virginia which is nowhere near boston massachusetts but i grew up in a blue collar uh, environment and the that town happens to be the home of whitey bulger the famous gangster right. and also the locale of a of a number of movies like goodwill hunting the departed and and others and so it was a predominantly Irish neighborhood and still is. Uh, DeCosta, as most of your listeners will, will recognize, is not Irish. And so I grew up uh, the son of a Marine surrounded by fighting Irishmen Okay, wow. <laughs> with yeah. the last name. So, So in terms of learning to be resilient and learning to be um, self-confident, you had to have self-confidence, otherwise you were a perpetual victim. Mm. And again, I'm not trying to characterize this as uh, any worse than any other place on the planet. There are many, many tough uh, places to grow up. But to, to the point of your question, uh, given the other challenges that not I guess not surprisingly uh, that everyone goes through, I am very grateful uh, for the challenges that uh, that I had growing up.
0: So on that, being self-confident, being resilient, uh, growing up in that environment, was there a time period, an incident, or when you look back, where you realize that you wanted something more than the norm, something more than the average?
1: Absolutely. I I had heart surgery when when I was young, but it's my only childhood, just like you only had one childhood. So I didn't know really any different than Having physical restrictions, I have two younger brothers who had no, you know, medical challenges like I did. So I was the oldest brother, but my brother Jim, a year younger than I am, was bigger than I was. Uh-huh. And you know, in my mid fifties, I don't care if he's larger than me. But you know, when I was eight and he was seven, and he was bigger than me, uh, that that was uh, that was particularly troubling yeah. uh, for a young for a young boy. Um, But again, in in hindsight, it created a a mindset in me, and I've had my parents and my brothers, you know, my adult brothers tell me that I absolutely had a chip on my shoulder, that I had to prove to other people that I was worthy, that I was good enough, that I was strong and fast and athletic. Even if I, I lacked some of those actual attributes, in my mind, I didn't lack them at all.
0: Okay. So with, so, so having a chip on your shoulder, you know, it's interesting when you talk about having heart surgery, when you're young, Zig is, is famous for his statement about a study. It was done 300 world leaders and found that about 75% of them had uh, either came from poverty, they came from abuse, or they had a physical handicap. Uh, and and when you look at that, that it drove, you had a chip on your shoulder, obviously that can teach you to excel and progress. Doesn't necessarily make you a good human, uh, in that. Was there a time where you're, you know, you're driving for success, you're motivated,
1: but it may not have been all for good purposes. Oh, without a doubt. I lost my dad when I was 15, uh, unexpectedly and, and foolishly announced to my brothers and my mother that I was assuming the role as of the man of the house. Hmm. Okay. This is at the ripe old age of 15 years old. And my mother was no um, pushover. And um, she, let's just say she corrected me. Okay. And that she was now the man of the house, so to speak. And, and there was no discussion of it. And in fact, it happened right about the time of the blizzard of nineteen. Seventy-eight, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin, the worst snowstorm in the history of the northeastern part of the United States in February of of 1978, obviously. Um, Otherwise, they wouldn't call it the blizzard of 78. But anyway, uh, she showed me the door and I went. I left the house to be on my own the night before a blizzard struck and ended up being away from home my mother knew where I was, but I didn't know that she knew, um, for about a week and a half, we were out of school. I mean, there was four feet of snow or some ridiculous amount of snow, but it was, it was humbling to say the least that I had to come quote unquote, crawling home, you know, in a snowstorm to tell my mother that, that she was, yes, in fact, the man of the house. Um, so it, it wasn't a smooth ride at all times, but it certainly wasn't I didn't get into crime or drugs or any of that stuff. That's, a, again, I think another benefit that comes from having medical challenges or health challenges, because rightly or wrongly, they put the fear in you that if you behave in, in irresponsible ways, more so than someone without the health issues, you could literally kill yourself. You could. Put yourself in serious medical uh, danger. And to this day, I've, I've not done a drug other than drugs that have been prescribed for me. Right. And it, it's not from some moral perspective, although I, I certainly share the moral reasons not to, it was mostly because I was terrified that I was going to end my life, you know, at that moment, if I did. Well, when you, when you look at that, uh, that you are,
0: yeah, again, going back self-confident, maybe a chip on your shoulder, uh, you, you were humbled at that experience. Is that something I'm always curious about people who have, you know, high, let's, let's call it high achievers and, and driven people that you find yourself having to temper that sometimes just in order to be, uh, let, let's use your word humble.
1: Yeah. With, without a doubt. And, and you learn as you, again, you know, when I was a child, I behaved as a child as I got older I, I gave up the things, the practices of childhood. Right. My wife would say she helped, and, and I let some of them go begrudgingly, let's just say that. But, you know, you, you begin to behave as an adult. And one of the things that happened to me, um, again, around that time, is I got admitted to the oldest school in the country, Boston Latin School, which is a test school every sixth grader in the city takes this test it's called the Latin test, not surprisingly I guess and I got I got in and it's a very competitive place. It, it wasn't you know it wasn't a British boarding school, but it was very competitive and very um, stressful and and I was surrounded by very intelligent boys and girls and I was no longer the smartest kid in the class. Not to I hope that doesn't sound bad, but I I I knew that I was academically gifted. I could do my schoolwork without much effort. And when I got there, I found out it was really difficult. And they kept giving you more and more work so that it was going to be difficult regardless of your intelligence. And and I that that was a a life changer for me. And my one of my brothers also went to latin and we both look back on those 6 years from 7th to 12th grade as again not to use an overworn cliche but life altering a life altering season of our life
0: well you and i want to get into you know fast forward somewhat somewhat to the present and and as you went into the corporate world and now coaching and training and authoring and speaking and presenting and all that when you look at your overall trajectory, what has been, I mean, because we know where it's always that question of what does cause drive? What does cause people to uh, aspire to more? Where do you see your, some of the roots of your personal motivation?
1: Yeah. And we can go as far or as or short as, as you would like on this particular question, Kevin, because my answer is faith. It's certainly faith. And, you know, in my belief in God and my belief that God believes in me. Mm. And, you know, I don't say that. I don't say those words casually. You know, it's, it's not just belief in God, which is, of course, important, not for everyone. But for me, it certainly is. And for many people, it is. But your belief that God doesn't make mistakes, that God believes in you and has given you gifts and talents and capabilities. And that your gift back to your creator is to use those. And, and I know people, Kevin, that this concept has blown them away. I coach executives for a living. So I've, I've said what I just said to you, to people who acted as if their mind was blown. And I've said what I just said to you, to people who rolled their eyes and just thought, what a fool is this man, meaning me. And so, you know, how people take it is completely up to them. But but that's the honest answer to your question. That's been the constant. That's been the fuel. And I and I go back to it like most people. I'm a creature of habit. I'm a creature of ritual. And, you know, for me, when I'm knocked down or something is difficult or challenging or the outcome doesn't go the way I want it to, you know, I'll have a pity party for about 30 seconds or a minute. And then part of me, you know, whether it's my Marine Corps dad telling us to do more push-ups, or if, if it's my image of of God uh, loving me and telling me to to keep going. Um, and again, to some people, they think it's cliche or corny, and I don't really care if somebody thinks that, um, but it, it gets me back up and going.
0: Well, so you you mentioned right there. Uh, well, first off, your statement I love. That's very. Uh, I mean, Zig. One of his, Zig's favorite quotes was, "You know, God don't make no junk." Um, nope. He doesn't <laughs> and it is pretty strong to contemplate that that yeah there's no mistakes and he has greatness in, in all of us. But when you talk about that being the thing that was your motive, the thing that helped you when you were knocked down, I gotta take that as a segue to almost to the present. I know that last year, so here you are, and you have um Well, you know what, before I before I get to that part, to give us a quick Snapshot of your trajectory into the corporate world, corporate uh, uh, yeah, the, the corporate work that you did, and then from there you jumped in, you know, to where you are now, uh, coaching and training. Give us a snapshot of that journey.
1: Absolutely. So I'll give you the short version, and and if I've skipped over anything, Kevin, that you want to delve into further, just just say the word. So um, I will make this sound like it it was a it was a flawlessly executed plan from. My youth. Oh, because I'm it sure was, it
0: was. Yeah.
1: Which it, absolutely. I was four years old and I had it all written out uh-huh. on the wall. Right. No, but it, but it, of course, some of it was planned and most of it was not, most of it was serendipity. It was opportunism and, and such. So, uh, loved math, became an engineer because I just wanted to be an engineer because they were smart. And my dad was a construction worker and he respected engineers. And I remember it. I remember feeling that and he had already passed. And I remember thinking, I'm going to become one of those guys that my dad really respected. So I became an engineer. And I went to Texas, worked as an engineer and found out, you know what? A kid from Boston who's an engineer in Texas is not going to run the company. They don't care how smart I think I am. They don't like the way I talk. Okay. And so I went to grad school at the University of Texas and got an MBA. And then I got into corporate finance, again, because it was math. Then I got into selling and marketing of high tech fir- uh high tech products and services, which is what many engineers um, go into most engineers, bachelors, people with a bachelor's degree in engineering, do not work as engineers their entire career, they use it to leverage into many other businesses engineers uh, generally speaking make make great leaders because of our understanding of problem solving and then i you know got married met a girl everyone would, no one would be surprised at the story i met a girl fell in love it took me a while to get her to fall in love with me but i did because i wasn't going to quit yeah. and i i mean it would be considered by some stalking maybe but i didn't break the law i didn't harass her i just kept asking. And so I got the order finally. And she married me. We've been married 31 years. We have three wonderful children. But 15, 16 years ago, I was living on the road as a sales and marketing executive for a high tech company back in Boston. And we had a family member, my wife's dad, who had had a serious medical issue. And my wife wanted to move back to West Virginia, where we had met 20 plus years earlier and I thought no way no way no way I'm not leaving Boston again I'm from Boston this is where I live like like Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting said I live here I live here and and so Linda's like well I'm moving to West Virginia so that's what we did all of us all five of us we've moved back here in 2003 and I've been here ever since And um, but there's no large companies for me to work for work for like I did in Boston so I started my own marketing consulting and then coaching firm and that's what I've been doing full time on my own as an entrepreneur.
0: Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to airdoctorpr Use promo code Kevin. So you have had success. I know you are heavily involved in uh, John Maxwell's organization. That's correct. Um, things are running well and then just last year 2017 you had uh that was a year for you tell yeah. us
1: about it so one of my best friends is brothers with one of John Maxwell's friends and those two brothers got me connected with John and then I became one of his faculty members and it it, it changed my life kevin john yeah, of course, is of what's a, a hu- is still a huge fan of of Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. Considered Zig a mentor, has lots of Zig stories. Lots of Zig stories. Some very funny. Again, I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of John and Zig Ziglar. But um, so yeah, so Linda started noticing changes in my behavior about a little over a year ago, the beginning of 2017. I was disorganized, I was getting headaches, I was getting tired very, very early in the evening. And she started seeing all the telltale signs and like many spouses, I guess mostly husbands, mm-hmm. I told her, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was absolutely not in denial, I wasn't blowing it off. I had no awareness, I, I, and, and, and again, hindsight is 20 I now know that I had a brain tumor. But of course, at the time, I didn't know I had a brain tumor. I just knew that my wife was really harping on me about little things like going to a meeting a day late, Mm. leaving the house without shoes on, little things like that. Like, what's the big deal? You know, the fact that I am forgetting everything. So she finally took me to the hospital and um, I had a very large... A tumor removed from the frontal lobe of my brain. So I'm making it sound simpler than it is, but it shut me down for about five months.
0: Goodness. Okay. Well, so that was just one in a litany of uh, of a handful of things that happened.
1: I hope the last one, but I, you just never know, Kevin, you never know, but I'm smiling and I'm on the I'm on the call with you right now and I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, so you also, you know, just, just again, going back to how you were prepared to overcome and you talked about being knocked down, but your faith in God and, you know, you last year. So along with that, I, uh, I'm told you lost your mom to cancer. I did. Um, You had a grandson, you lost a major business client because of, uh, the tumor. And so it was a, it was a big setback.
1: Yeah, certainly. My dad, you know, back in 77, at the end of 77 was sudden and unexpected. My mom was two years of pancreatic cancer, and it touches everyone's family. And so I won't belabor it. But we knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. She hung on. She hung on, Kevin, at least six months longer than she was told she would, because she wanted to see her great grandchild. And she did. He was born four days before she passed away. And my brothers and I are convinced and no one could convince us otherwise, that she waited. She absolutely waited. And, and of course, I lost a client. I lost a client because I didn't show up. I didn't show up for a a training session that i was supposed to run and they had you know 30 people show up from all around the united states and north america and the speaker the person who's supposed to facilitate the the all day session doesn't show up wow yeah and that's not me and it's not any professional really unless you have something that's impacting your what's called your meta awareness which is your awareness of your awareness, the executive function of your brain, which is controlled by the frontal lobe, which was being squished by a tumor. I'm I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm not a neuroscientist, but as you can imagine, when you're sick with something, you end up watching a ton of YouTube videos on it and try to learn about it. It's fascinating and scary at the same time when you realize, when I realized that wow, this thing could have been a whole lot worse for me. Um, but it, but I, but I'm back.
0: And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, and you talk about that. I, I I was, it was shared with me that you had some radiation, ended up on the radiation table for four hours instead of 30 minutes. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a bad story. When you look at all this though, I, I mean, I, I realize you are who you are because of your ability to keep a positive mindset, but for most people, I mean, this really gets into that, you know, why do bad things happen to good people of, of looking and going, okay, okay. You know, you're going to come through this. I'm sure when everything happened, you knew you're going to come through, but there's, it was
1: of that question of
0: what is the purpose here? What is the purpose of all this?
1: Right. There's gotta be a purpose. I just don't understand it if if you don't mind i i'd be happy to share please okay so and and again i hope people get this and understand from where it comes because this is precisely how i do it and this is not a metaphor this is exactly how i do it so i am a sports fan like many people it's not all that important it's a form of entertainment but you know depending on your family and how you grew up some some are more interested than others. Imagine if you're watching a game that has been recorded. It's been recorded. And you know who wins the game. Now, some would argue, why would you watch a recorded game that you know the result of? But let's, for the sake of illustration, say that you are. Okay? You are watching the game. For example, the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. I watched that game live. I didn't grow up as a Patriots fan because they were terrible then. It was all about the Bruins and the Red Sox and the Celtics who were good. But, and I don't want to hurt the feelings of anyone from Atlanta and, you know, know, I respect the Falcons, but I don't mind watching replays of that game because the team that I was rooting for wins the game. I know they win the game. I've I've seen it. Yeah. So even even watching the game during parts where they're playing terribly, you're not worried. You're not stressed. You're not doing the things, Kevin, that you would you might be doing if you were watching it live or didn't know the outcome. You you follow me? Yeah. Okay. And so if you believe this is where the metaphor comes in, if you believe that your life, in a manner of speaking, is in fact a game. That if you play by a certain set of rules, you win. Then it doesn't matter what is happening to you at the moment. So long as you continue to play by the rules that you've been given, you will win. And, and I, I can tell you, Certainly in the last experience with this brain tumor, and I, I told myself that many, many times per day, when they said, oh, Ed, you will not be able to speak anymore, you will not be able to coach people because your cognitive function will, it will recover, but it won't get back to where it was. And my wife was in the room, and she was not happy to hear that. She's, mm-hmm. you know, She and I have talked about it a lot. It was very scary to her. And I had to pretend I wasn't scared by it because she was in the room and I did not want to make her fears worse by her seeing me behave in a fearful way. And there's nothing wrong with a man being afraid. I'm not saying there is. But my my upbringing said, okay, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Bite that lip. Do not look afraid. Do not look afraid, even though I was. But I just kept telling myself, OK, if I play by the rules, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I practice what I've said over and over and over again, and thousands of people have influenced me positively, people I've met and people I've never met. I never met Zig Ziglar. I've read three of his books. I've watched him countless hours, listened to tapes of him. And I could do a probably a poor imitation of him, or impression of him. But he's influenced my life. But it's all about positivity. It's all about belief in yourself and belief in what's important and working really, really hard. And if I don't actually do this, if I don't practice this at a time where I'm knocked on the ground and everybody knows I've been knocked on the ground, you know, in my way of speaking, and some think it's harsh, you're either true to what you say you are or you are a hypocrite. There's just two sides. That's it. There's no halfway. One side of the coin says you're authentic. The other side of the coin says hypocrite. So if you don't want the coin to face, you know, the the, the side of the coin that says hypocrite to face up, you really have no other choice but to live by what you said your values are. And for for me, you know, that's all I need. That's literally all I need.
0: Well, and that is incredibly convicting, uh, and inspiring, you know, and, and with your work today as a, a coach, as a speaker, as a trainer and all the roles that you have, is that right there? I, Cause that was a question. my, my I was going to ask the question, what do you feel like is your primary message? Or if you are only allowed to give one presentation, what is the message that you want to give? Was
1: that it? Yeah, that's, that's another way of, of, of putting it. And and again, the people that I coach and, and who are coached by others as well, I'm certainly not, uh, you know, it's not the, I don't have the only clients that have this characteristic, Kevin, but, you know, people who want to get better results. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the old Einstein definition of insanity, which I will not repeat. Everybody knows it. Okay. But, you know, if you want to get better, you got to, you got to do some stuff that are that's different. And a coach isn't going to tell you what to do. You're the pilot. Maybe God's the pilot. If, and if you want to view it that way, I certainly do. But if either you or God is your pilot and I'm your co pilot, I'm your co pilot and I can help you because I've been there and done that. But I'm not going to tell you the answer because I actually don't know your answer, even if I think I know your answer. And you know, I've got two adult sons. And I remember one of them asking me, he was probably 15, 16 years old and he, his girlfriend was upset with him and he and he came to me and said, dad, you know, has his mom ever been mad at you and you didn't know why, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm laughing now saying it to you, Kevin, because of course the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes. I have been, I have been in trouble with your mom and I really, truly didn't understand the whole reason why I understood some of it. Well, what do you do? I said, son. I can't give you the script because I don't know what the girlfriend's going to say to you, but I would start with trying to understand from her perspective, what you did or didn't do that caused it. And so the point is coaches don't hand you a script and say, this is how you achieve success. Go say these things because your life is, is different. Your life is unique. That's where values and principles and John Maxwell talks about these in almost, in in fact, probably every single one of his hundred plus books in different ways, obviously, but, you know, be a person of, of principle, be a person that practices the values that you espouse um, and they will serve you well, regardless of the circumstances that you're in.
0: So with those folks that you... Get the opportunity to coach to consult with uh, well, one who who is the primary person that you enjoy working with, and what do you feel is the primary value deliverable that you
1: bring to them sure absolutely it's um I have a an image in my mind it's kind of an avatar or caricature it's a veto unchallenged, and I don't mean Don Corleone. You know, from The Godfather, although that's not that uh, Marlon Brando character is not a bad image uh, for Vito on Challenge. This is the, the CEO, owner of a, of a mid to large size business that feels he's in the center or she's in the center of mass uh, activity, massive activity, Kevin, okay, but yet feels alone because they feel as if they cannot share things. Just like I didn't want to share with my wife that I was afraid when I was told I wasn't going to be able to get my business back. okay? There are many CEOs, many senior level executives that feel as if they can't show how they're feeling Mm -hmm. or tell people what they're thinking for confidentiality reasons, for vulnerability reasons. And so they need that outlet. They need that outlet. And that's what a coach does. It's a confidential, 100% confidential sounding board. And you know as well as I do, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, that sometimes that's all people need is to be able to vent and to be heard, you know, like Covey, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And if they feel like they're understood by someone who's not going to use it against them, you know, and this is why they have a very difficult time. And not just men, although it's predominantly a male characteristic. Um, you know, they, they won't share it with their peers. They won't share it with their boss. They won't share it with any of their direct reports. They won't share it with their spouse. Man, who am I supposed to tell this to? And I've had hundreds of these conversations over the years, hundreds. And um, so that's the number one source of value. It helps them think better, think through alternatives, um, again, in a safe, it sounds kind of tacky to say in a safe space, because I don't mean it in that way, um, but, but that's exactly what it is. It's a place where, you know, they're not going to be judged. They're not going to be threatened. Nobody's going to use it against them in a meeting tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so I'm curious with that. We have this common statement floating around that I, I think, uh, you know, to some degree I, I've experienced it, to, that it's true that we're, we're uber connected, you know, we've got social media uh-huh. and, a, and a zillion friends, but we have less true connection, less intimacy. So when you talk about these, even these sea level folks, these high, uh, you know, high powered in essence, folks, these high achievers, these success, at least in a vocational aspect of their lives, these folks, are you seeing that trend with them as well? That, that, that issue is getting worse in essence, or for that type of a person, has it always been
1: somewhat an isolated place to be? I I think it is, has always been an isolated place, but that's by their own actions and their own choice. John, John Maxwell, and forgive me for referring to him, but again, when you're around John and you know, I'm sure if the same is true when you're around someone like Zig, they're just quote machines. I mean, they say things, and you just say, "Wait a minute, stop! Say that again." You know, yeah, say that again. So how, what? Yeah. How did you? What the? What did that mean? I mean, I have a dozen easily Johnisms that convey a commonly understood message in a way that is anything but common. Um, but. But John says with regard to this particular point, if you say it's lonely at the top, you're a hiker, not a leader. The point being fairly obviously, maybe to most, that if you are a true leader, you're bringing people with you. You're bringing people with you. That is the definition of being a leader. If there are no people following you, to the top, so to speak, and again, it's a bunch of mixed metaphors here, but this is how we communicate today, um, then you're truly not a leader. And I think many of them, by their own isolation, they have the, you know, they have their own bathroom, they have this preferred parking spot, they have their own cafeteria, they have gatekeepers and guards. And, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not, is my Young daughter would say, you know, throwing shade on people. I'm not criticizing them per se, but the unintended consequence of these actions is that they are alone. They are incredibly alone in the middle of a crowd of people.
0: So, and that is something I think we all deal with, of course, to a good degree, When not everybody can go hire you, Uh, where do you, where do you find yourself directing people so that they can have that value in their life, that resource in their life? Even these folks, you know, these these guys, I mean, these folks that hire you, that get that value from you. Now it's a, a, as you use a safe place, but it's a place where they can connect with somebody. Obviously they can't pay for you to be their friend forever. Uh, Do you find yourself? Counseling them, and and of course, this will relate to all of us. As you've got to go connect with people,
1: yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is one of the tools that, again, the, the old you know, give a man a fish versus right. teaching him to fish. You know, the best coaches are not coaching the circumstances. The best coaches, and and they're not very many, sad to say, but it's true. The best coaches coach the individual yeah. and what you're doing and how you're behaving and be, and 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 again that may not be intuitive to people or they may not understand what I just said but if you coach someone out of a set of circumstances that they are in all you've really done is equip them to be ready for the next time those exact circumstances come but if you but if you reduce the circumstances to the point of values and characteristics and traits and habits then you're coaching the individual and they can apply those very same strengths very same values to any set of circumstances and and two other points if you don't mind Please. and 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 again I I'm just been I've been conditioned to um, to feel this way about these words. You, you've mentioned a couple of times friends you talked about, you know, with regard to social media, mm-hmm. you know, I think the biggest crime Facebook has committed is not about our privacy. I think the biggest the crime it's committed is the co-opting of the name friend, you know, you know, somehow, you know, are we friends? Like, well, what do you, what does that mean? Well, we used to know what that meant in a very different way than having clicked a button in a social media platform. Okay. And the truth is most of the people that you're friends with on Facebook or any other, I would, I would argue, they do not pass the litmus test of what our parents or grandparents would use to determine whether someone was their friend. Right. And, and so to me, that's, that's sad. And, and a coach is not their friend and a coach is not a counselor. And it's a long answer we don't have time for, but a coach is about the the present and the future. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a licensed professional counselor. We're not going to, there's no red leather couch in my office or anything like that. You know, it's all about where are you now? Where are you headed? And you know, how can we get you there?
0: Absolutely. Well, so on that aspect of uh, teach a man to fish, I know you've got a message around
1: Gremlins. Tell us about that. So Gremlin, Gremlin, I didn't create the the, the name Gremlin um, for this inner critic. Uh, many people have used it, but I have really taken a liking to it. And during my coach training, we talked about um lots of things, um lots of imaginary obstacles imaginary obstacles, things that are in our heads, Kevin, that stop us from doing the things that we, we ought to do or that would, be, that would be helpful for us to get where we're going. Gremlins, assumptions, interpretations, and limiting beliefs. So I have created, and, and, and others have as well, a tool to help people really give a voice and personify. This is so vital personified their gremlin because when they go through the exercise quite often they realize that little voice in your head that tells you that you're not good enough that tells you that you can't do it because of your race or your gender or your age or where you're from or how much money you have or what kind of car you drive or whatever of thousands and thousands of other um, criticisms Mm -hmm. again you've heard it before a million times right I'm my own worst critic, right? We are our own worst critics, okay? We we know ourselves better than anyone else knows us, and so we are more apt to criticize ourselves. But when you, when you actually do what I call take your gremlin to court or go to court with your gremlin, I know it sounds weird to some people, but you go through this exercise and you come out of it feeling like... Your gremlin has no power over you whatsoever. And to this point, and I've said this hundreds and hundreds of times to individuals and to groups, when I have a self-limiting belief now, if I have a little, a thought in my head that says, oh, my goodness, Ed, you're on on the Ziegler show. You're not possibly worthy of being on this show. Okay. I laugh at it. I laugh at it. Not out of disrespect or arrogance. Not at all. I laugh at it because I know from where it comes. It's born out of our humility, our modesty, which are perfectly wonderful attributes. We should be modest. We should be humble. But don't allow those two really good things to turn into something that that prevents us from realizing our potential. Uh, And I will just add one more thing, just to put some. Put a visual. I was with a a client, the managing director of a law firm, and the managing partner of a law firm, okay, who said something to me that she thought was pointless. It was just like a, a throwaway comment, okay? Her leadership team had females. There were seven of them. I think one was a male, and seven were females. And I didn't bring it up. And she made a comment about the fact that it was predominantly a female leadership team. Because I couldn't speak in front of a room full of men. And Kevin, when she said that to me, I I mean, I almost fell out of my chair. And I, I said, help me understand what you just said. What? You just said you can't speak in front of a room full of men. She says, I didn't say that. I said, yes, you did. You said just now that your leadership team is predominantly women because you couldn't speak in front of a room full of men. Kevin, what I saw, I couldn't believe because she, she basically got very emotional and told me very quickly, because I'm not a therapist, mm-hmm. that when she was a little girl, Her mother or her grandmother, excuse me, when she was a little girl, her grandmother told her when she was five or six years old. I'm not laughing at it because she she ultimately laughed as well that girls shouldn't speak in front of boys because the boys won't like them. Wow. And here she was 60 years later. And she without even thinking about it, she didn't intentionally say that to me. She just said it. And she was living with that. And as soon as it became out in the open, she realized, okay, that's a gremlin. That is a self-limiting belief that has no basis in fact. And so that's an example of of a gremlin that paralyzes people without them even knowing it.
0: Well, let let me ask you one more thing on that then. Sure. Because obviously some of the gremlins that we would look at, I can think about myself, they're, they're very real. There are things that I am, uh, and I've proven that I'm, I'm not great at that. I do have a limitation, a handicap per se. Is yes. this also the aspect of, Hey, get that out on the table so that you know it, you're aware of it. You're not blind uh, to it so that you can in essence, manage around it and, and overcome anyways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's had nothing to do with a gremlin. What you just said is about awareness of your strengths and your, the things that you struggle okay. with okay, that's perfectly valid, right, you know, you name a high achiever in any, in any vocation or profession, sport, business, life, they have awareness of where their gifts lie, and by definition, if you're aware of where your gifts lie, you're also, you're also aware of where your gifts don't lie, that's, that's self-awareness, and that's wonderful, that is not, it, you know, listen, I'm a terrible golfer. That is not a gremlin. That is not a gremlin telling me I'm a terrible golfer. That just says, I've only golfed a few times. And when I did, the results I got made people think, why are you even doing this? (laughs) Okay, And I'm not enjoying it. And I'm not good at it. And I'm going to hurt someone. And so I'm just going to go through the rest of my life without golfing. And maybe when I retire, I'll take it up again. But I don't know. That's not a gremlin. That's reality. And so long as you're able to achieve something that, again, it's been written about thousands and thousands of times, something that you love to do and you're particularly good at, and it drives your economic engine. That's right out of Jim Collins and good to great, you know?
0: Hey, thank you uh, for you're this. I, I feel like we could keep talking forever, uh, but in uh, folks who are listening, you're going to be able to appreciate the upcoming habits show, uh, with Ed as well, but man, I just thank you for sharing your heart. Uh, I now know why Brenda was adamant that I have you on the show. So this is, this is, this is the kind of person that we want on the show. It's incredibly inspiring, incredibly empowering. Thank you for the, uh, the tool also that I'll have told people how to get to in the intro later uh, the conquer your gremlin worksheet as well. I am eager to go through it uh, myself. Cause yeah, I, am, I, I have a business partner and, and one of his favorite quotes is the most dangerous thing is, uh, when we don't know what we don't know. Um, you
1: bet. No Ed, question about it.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do and bringing us your, uh, gifts, talents and abilities and your strengths today. Ed, we, uh, this is great for the audience. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, I, First of all, you're welcome. It has been my pleasure, and thank you again. I again, I, I, I've listened to a number of your shows, and and I want to abide by the time limits. But aside from my family and my faith, and a couple of sports teams, which people don't want to talk about, this is my favorite subject. So I, I really do. I have enjoyed our conversation very much.
0: Ah, me too. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. Such great heart and insight from Ed DeCosta. Check out, again, Ed's Ascend Coaches Toolkit at com slash A-C-T. And if you got value from this show, please do Ed a favor, and us too. Let us know by leaving a review in iTunes. Mention this specific show. I'll fill you in on our upcoming show right after I share some great resources with you. All right, friends, coming up next in show 592, we get a message from Zig Ziglar on what it means to not only get to the top, but go over the top. It's a significant charge from Zig that comes from a meaningful personal experience in his life as he was writing a book. It's a heart and paradigm change on success. And from it, he gave us a list of 15 ideals that he believes are signs of being over the top. I took all 15 and posted them on Facebook. I actually don't talk through them in the show itself. So if you want to see the list, go to Facebook. You can find me at Agent K, isn't Kevin Miller. Agent K Miller. Uh, but you'll see it. But I asked the question folks after sharing the 15 where is your Achilles heel and I I showed him the 15 points from Zig that he shared with us and I said I'm sure many of you like me are doing well in some of these areas most most of these areas but I'm asking which of the 15 do you feel you struggle with most don't take too long try to answer with your gut reaction Uh, so I did that got incredible just really in-depth insightful responses tom ziggler and i talked through all the responses or a good number of them and we started off the show sharing our own achilles heel i think you'll be surprised to hear what tom says his is so hope you can join us in this next show till then as always folks thanks so much for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together